undergraduate non-traditional and graduate student recruitment, admissions professional development, enrollment leadership development, neuroscience, and pixie dust. Join me today as I speak with Jeff Nally, who is an executive coach, speaker, and author who will tie all those together. Thanks for joining me, and let's get into the show. Welcome to Reboot Higher Ed. I'm here with Jeff Nally. Jeff Nally is an executive coach, speaker, and author who brings together neuroscience research, coaching methodologies, and well-being strategies to help leaders achieve what they really want at work and in life. The combined focus creates better leaders, teams, and organizations and produces results with the brain and mind. Jeff, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Paula. It's a real pleasure to be here today. Well, thanks for being on. Jeff, I uh, gave you a little intro there, but uh, why don't you tell us a little bit more about yourself, uh, how you came to, to working in the, the field that you, you do and the coaching and strategies uh, that you work with with organizations and individuals, and then uh, we'll, we'll get into some other topics. Sure. Uh, yeah, my career began uh, when I was working at Owensboro Community College. And I was actually in the business and industry training department. So I was working with small, medium, and large businesses in Western Kentucky and engaging them in adult learning, pre-employment assessments, coaching, and training for employees. It turns out a lot of those employees were also students at the community college. So I got to know the enrollment process, the advising process, and basically how to get adults through college very well. I worked for a not-for-profit called the Citizens Committee on Education, which was a business industry partnership to help improve the on-to-college rate in Owensboro, Kentucky, and got a really good feel for the barriers and also the possibilities of moving people into the college space. Um, since then, I've been a real advocate. Um, I uh, do executive coaching at St. Norbert College in Wisconsin for their executive leadership program. I volunteer on the School of Business Advisory Board at Spalding University uh, and help advocate for the Masters of Business, uh, Masters of Science and Business Communication program. I've also taught undergraduate courses in business and HR online. Um, after working in uh, higher ed and not-for-profit space, I moved into human resources in the aluminum, air filter, and healthcare businesses. And then in 2006, I started the executive coaching practice at Humana. And that's where the neuroscience, the brain science of how we coach people and how we engage people in something that's really difficult or challenging for them really got my attention. I became a certified credentialed executive coach with the International Coach Federation and uh, believe it or not, got finance executives and physicians and clinicians inside a health insurance company to really embrace coaching through science. Uh, since then, I've started my own firm and I've been advocating on how people in everyday life, in everyday work, in their interactions with each other, can use brain science to really be better humans with each other and to help people do things they didn't think they could do, achieve the goals they really didn't think were possible, and to make sure we're not unintentionally sparking the defenses in each other's brains. And instead, we spark insights ideas and motivation in each other's brains. Well, that's great. You know, that latter part that you just finishing with, uh, 
we speak this podcast is uh, very much uh, focused on the uh, the non-traditional student and the the graduate student so the adult student and there are many barriers and that sounds like you have a lot of experience working with barriers and a lot of some of those barriers are obviously the external barriers that anyone coming back to complete a degree will have um cost you know transcript holds at other universities a lot of those barriers but let's say those barriers are out of the way there's the unseen barriers i think i'd like to call them right now that you uh work with uh right now even just with professionals but also as of recent just at the advising summit um, for the graduate network and working with colleges what do you what do you think about the that non-traditional student coming back to school to complete the degree some of those uh you know the responses that might occur or that we might uncover that would actually negate uh, them moving forward um, i think the admissions professionals enrollment professionals the listeners could to learn a little bit about what we're dealing with sure um yeah i was the keynote speaker for the graduate networks advising summit in this uh, summer of 2018 and um, i have a real passion like you for enrollment advising and admission folks because they're really on the front lines of helping students uh, adults and non-traditional students to really step in to the higher education space and you know it's like you said it's like the unseen barriers I'm not a logistics expert on your enrollment process, but what I can tell you is that no matter the age of the individual, and no matter how excited they might be to want to finish their degree or to come to college for the first time, it is an unseen barrier to their brain. It is a new complex system. It's like joining a new company. And on your very first day, you may be in an orientation program, but you really don't know anything about how things work around here. And advising professionals and enrollment people and the folks who are helping students get started and get through, you know, it's their job to know how things work around here, all the different systems and processes. And so I think, you know, admissions professionals and enrollment professionals have a really big challenge. And that is, how do I translate what we need to do to make this student successful without unintentionally threatening the student's brain. And I wanna just mention what that, what that means. I don't mean that we, as admissions counselors and enrollment professionals, we threaten people. Um, there's you know, basic parts of everyone's brain that trigger whether we're in a threat response and things are uncertain, or whether we're in an engaged response where I really feel comfortable and I know what's going on here. Um, all of that decision-making happens before we're conscious of it, and it pretty much resides in the amygdala, the emotional center of our brain. It's also called the limbic system. And so whenever we you know, step into an admission counselor's office or we sit down to fill out a piece of paper um, or go online to fill out a form uh, to enroll, there's a signal and an emotion that our brain sends to the rest of our brain that says, this is unfamiliar. We don't do this every day. I wonder if I'll get in. How do I know which class I'm gonna take? Do I like my professor? How do things work around here? And all of that is a threat response in neuroscience terms to our brains. And while someone may continue to fill out the online form or have a good conversations with the admissions counselor, 
their brain is telling them the whole time, this is something you should be wary of. Um, it's the same signal our brains used to send when we were cave people that said, is this a lion, a tiger, or a bear, and should I run away? Or is this a friendly cave mate that I can sit around with and communicate with and be a part of their tribe? And our brain constantly sends those signals uh, uh, around to us, telling us what to be wary of and what to draw toward. And I think, you know, the enrollment process, the admissions process, just the getting into a college or university system and moving through it from semester to semester or quarter to quarter is really a, an initial threat to everyone's brain. And so, you know, one of the things that we want to talk about today is the how to help counselors, admissions professionals, advisors, really dampen that threat response in the student's brain and to engage their brain in whatever they need to engage in to make them successful in college or at the university. That's, those are some great points and a great segue uh, to, yeah, the next, the next piece of, of where we should be diving into. You've explained uh, the complexity um, of the brain and I, I've heard the brain compared to it's a, uh, it's bigger than the, uh, mass huge computer in Superman too. Your brain is crazily, <laughs> it's just a crazy, it's very complex. And That's right. I, I, and working with um, enrollment uh, counselors and missions counselors, and, and also it's time that I've worked with students. One thing, Jeff, before we move forward, I, I think this might explain some things. We, when we meet with students, and I won't get too technical, but we meet with students, we know that uh, there are sometimes that that threat response, they're very engaged and they seem very excited, but that's their response then. But sometimes when we follow up with that student um, and they've kind of, this happens to students, they go MIA a little bit after the first initial communication, uh, whether it's over the phone or campus visit, and something has happened in the meantime. And I, I'd like to hear your thoughts on, I, I believe it's something that, that maybe we're not doing uh, during that face-to-face -face or phone conversation to, uh, uh, to better uh, explain and understand that student, but they're leaving or they're not getting something, thus they're not returning calls and they're not, you know, returning for registration or orientation. So what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I think, you know, in the initial meeting or the initial interaction, whether it's by phone or in person, you know, we really have to engage people in a way that says, it's going to be okay, you're welcome here, and I understand. Um, I know in organizations, whether it's a college or a, you know, an office workplace, we know processes and we're going to try to move people through those. But our first interaction needs to be a welcoming hello, letting people know who you are, Here's my name, here's what I do. And then to let them know that you understand that this is unfamiliar. Actually saying things like, I know it's probably took a lot for you to get here today and to take this first step. And I want you to know how much I appreciate that. Uh, my job is to help you through the processes and you don't have to be an expert in that. That's what I do. So I'm gonna put you at ease and let you know that I'll be the person to try to help you figure out how to move through this. And if I don't have an answer right away, I'll go find it. But will you stick with me so that we can get you enrolled or move you to the next step? 
and let me be the contact person up until X point so that, that you can get what you need. When you say things like that, what goes off in the other person's brain is, wow, this admissions counselor really gets me. She understands me. She's listening to me. It's like she's reading my mind. I'm hesitant. I'm a little bit wary about doing this. I didn't say it, but she knows it. And that empathy that we demonstrate by letting people know that we care and that we, could, we can put ourselves in their shoes and we know from the outside this process looks a little weird or feels complicated, but then I've got someone who's really going to be with me through it, that makes a big difference. And then in the follow-up call, you know, um, I love the way you mentioned that, you know, sometimes the potential student goes MIA, right? Life happens. Their work gets busy. Uh, they have kids. Uh, something happens between the time they want to start college or they register and the time when they actually need to commit and sign up for courses and pay the fees. And so, you know, we can't read their minds, but when we reach out to them by phone, um, it's not a time for us to ask, so what's wrong, right? We don't want to bring to mind what might be wrong or what the problem might be in the student's mind. We really want to say things like, so I know it's been a while since we talked and I noticed you haven't done X, Y, and Z. What's the next thing you need to think about to get you closer? to enrolling and starting classes. That question, what's the next thing you need to think about is a brain-based coaching question. And when you ask that question, it dampens the listener's amygdala, their emotional system. Suddenly they're not as defensive and they're the part of their brain where they have to think about what do they wanna think about to move forward. That's called the prefrontal cortex. It's a little spot right behind their forehead that's the part of the brain that starts to get active. That's the part of the brain where we listen, where we take in information, where we tease out ideas and decide, oh, what is it I want to do? What should I be thinking about? Um, and, and so asking coaching questions that cause the student to think instead of to be defensive or to focus on the problem is how admissions counselors and enrollment professionals can really make a difference to get that person re-engaged in the process. Those are, uh, well, I'll tell you what, Jeff, you do have a future as an admissions counselor if uh, Nally Group does not work <laughs> out, but it sounds like uh, you know your stuff and those are some great points. And, you know, Jeff, uh, thinking about this, it's, it's, it's like there is, there's, a, there's development within that admissions counselor's uh, job position our job description, even that I won't say job description. I'm sorry, the coaching that's going to go involved with the admissions, the admissions team. Um, I've spent many, uh, I've spent time on many teams and uh, I've enrolled for many different programs, different levels. And one thing that I know is a priority when it comes to admissions is knowing the, the product, knowing the, uh, you know, knowing the courses, Knowing the layout of the university, and, uh, and and knowing exactly the process that it need to be in place, and there's so much focus on that in the training that some of the thing, key elements that you have brought up gets left out. So it looks like a, us as enrollment leaders 
have a, a lot on our hands as far as the uh, after onboarding and the technical training, there's a piece that might be uh, uh, getting forgotten sometimes. That's right. And, you know, it's the same in um, other professions. Um, I speak to and have been in the human resources profession uh, for over 20 years. And, you know, there's a lot of complexity to the HR profession, just like there's a lot of complexity in the advising profession. You have to know so much about systems and the campus, et cetera. Well, to a customer, to a, a student that comes in, they're kind of counting on you knowing that. That's like table stakes. Not that you haven't worked hard as an advising professional to know that, but that's really like that gets you in the game. That gets you qualified for your job. But the real uh, application of that comes when you sit down in front of another human being and you have to apply what you know to their specific situation. You have to meet them where they are. And HR professionals do the same thing. So like, like you mentioned, I don't want to minimize the whole technical aspect of what advising professionals or HR professionals know. It's expected. But what other people engage with is not all of your technical information. <laughs> they don't engage with all the logistics and the computer systems behind the scenes. What they engage with is you as a person or the process you're going to lead them through. And how you do that is really important. Um, so yes, a coaching approach to doing that uh, lands in the student's brain much better than, um, let's say, a, a process approach. Uh, you probably, and your listeners have probably seen, you know, the old um, uh, skits or movies where there's um, someone walks up to uh, the driver's license uh, desk or some government office, and the person on the desk says, okay, give me your name and address, and the person, and they do, and then they start taking out rubber stamps, and they start stamping papers, and they go over to the computer, and they plug a lot of information in, and the person standing there waiting for their license is like, what is going on? I have no idea what you're doing. And they kind of get um, pushed through the process instead of shepherded and guided through the process. And so coaching is a way that we can develop advising professionals, and counselors, and others who are involved in the admissions process to say, now that you know the content, here's how to apply it. Here are some coaching skills that we can give you and that you can use to be a fully developed professional. And we do this across the profession as well. I mean, across other professions as well. HR still needs this. Attorneys are still trying to figure this out. Finance leaders, frontline managers and supervisors. We all know the technical or content aspect of the work, but how we develop ourselves as coaches and how we help people by asking questions and not just kind of stamping their papers and pushing them through a computer process makes all the difference in the world. Those are some uh, more great points. And, you know, Jeff, uh, thinking about the enrollment process today is heavily automated. There is, and I know human resources as well. There's a lot of self-service mm -hmm. out there. Okay, but that isn't. That doesn't minimize the person that uh, is behind the desk or the, the those on the staff. But what it does mean is that there has to be an evolution of the position, that there is a a need not to be replaced, people being replaced. But it just means that you need to uh, serve other functions besides just pressing buttons and emailing or texting students. There's still that face-to-face -face communication. 
that needs to happen and phone call communication. I know as a, admissions leaders out there can relate, you speak to an admissions counselor and you inquire about some students that are right now looking like they're going to start classes in the fall. And you ask them, you know, have you, have you, have you communicated with the student? And the answer you might get is, well, I emailed them or I texted them. Uh, and that student doesn't show up on the day of registration. So I, I think that it shows that you can't just heavily rely on the technology pieces out there to, to do that job. There is many, there's, there's voice communication and there's the face-to-face that, uh, that we have to coach our admission staff to know how to look for and, and feel out. Some students will fly under the radar and start classes and you'll never see them. That's just the state that we're in today. But there's others out there that that need that. Uh, they need that phone call that's um, not leaving them too much information. I need you to call me back, you know, because you need to have that. You need to engage them uh, again uh, to make sure that, you know, obviously, is, is this the right fit for you? And if it's not, uh, maybe we can assist you as well. Um, I, I do like to promote that. We can't do everything for another college university or trade school, but uh, I still would like to be able to guide that student to the right path, to the right degree, and I can't do that through text messaging. Right, and, and I think that's a, that's a valid point. You know, there's this assumption that we only get the best engagement when we're sitting in front of somebody else and we have their full attention and we can be personable. Actually, you can do that across all kinds of platforms. Um, so, for example, yes, the reminder email is always helpful. And, you know, what I coach people to, to think about is when the recipient opens the email or they see the subject line pop up on their phone, they haven't even opened the email yet, what are you doing their brain instead of unintentionally distance them? So, you know, if the subject line says, you forgot to turn in this form, send it to me right now. Well, that is a sense of, you've created a sense of urgency, but you've also created a sense of threat. <laughs> The student, like, oh, I forgot. Oh, gosh, do I have time to do that today? Right. What the subject line needs to look like. Maybe the subject line says something like, your next step is send this form in by Friday. So you're guiding them through the process, but you're telling them what the next step is, and you're not reminding them that they forgot, and you're not focusing on the problem. You're giving them the solution. Same thing in voicemail. I can't tell you how many voice messages I get a day and they put the most important action at the very end of a three-minute message. So we really can't do that because people aren't going to listen for three minutes to a voicemail message or to read through the, the transcription of it on their phone. No, they're not. <laughs> so at the very top, say, hey, it's Jeff from the admissions office. I'm just calling to let you know I'm looking forward to receiving your form by Friday so you can start classes on Monday. If you haven't done that already, call me at this number. And that is like a conversation that happens. So when the person hears it, they're like, oh, yeah, that's what I need to do next. Not, oh, I forgot. And, okay, I'm listening to your call, but what is it you want me to do? You know, Jeff, you, one of the things you just cited is um, uh, something that I'm very high on uh, sharing with many in the enrollment world is communication cannot be winged. You can't just get on the phone and, and leave a voicemail. And uh, many times even that's just, hey, call a student, leave them a voicemail. Uh, but as enrollment leaders, that's where that that to me is that's where the coaching is. You 
pay attention to what's being said. Uh, listen to your counselors and what they're saying and look for the results. Um, there's small, the, what you just stated is a small, just tweak in, in somebody's process that they mm-hmm. have. And, and, and it's that small can, can result since, you know, enrollment professionals that are listening to this, we're, we, we live in the world of conversions. You know, a three, that three minute, that three minute or 30 second voicemail could increase conversions of actually things that are happening out there. And another thing too, Jeff, it also um, reinforces uh, to that admissions counselor that the leadership is trying to assist them just become better. And I think even the delivery of coaching to the admissions professional on some changes they need to make probably needs to be reevaluated in many of our offices as well. Yeah. And, um, you know, that really connects back with what you mentioned just a moment ago, which is professional development for advisors, admissions counselors, and enrollment professionals. While the professional development always includes technical updates and new software, right? The real professional development is in teaching all of us how to be better coaches. Now, I'm not suggesting that uh, we should turn um, every advising professional into a capital C executive coach who's credentialed by the International Coach Federation. I'm thinking it's really more about teaching all of us to, uh, to do small c coaching. How can I use the power of questions to engage the student or potential student and improve the conversion and get them to where they need to be next? You know, when I led coaching um, uh, at a a corporation, I had the CFO call me in one day um, and he said, so, you know, I've seen this coaching that you've been doing for people on my team. And he said, you know, here's what it looks like to me. When he said that, I thought, oh boy, I'm in big trouble. He's going to he doesn't understand coaching. He said, you know, I tell you kind of how I want somebody on the team to have better impact or what it looks like in six months when they're doing things better or different. And then you start coaching them. And what it looks like to me is like the top of their skull off and you sprinkle pixie dust on their brain. And then you put their skull back on. They're doing all this stuff that I really, really wanted. Well, you can imagine my response. I cannot believe I just heard a finance professional use the words pixie dust. No, that would, you're right. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, from his perspective, that's what it looked like. It looked like magic. Because when you use questions to help someone develop or to help someone grow or to get them outside their comfort zone, to do something they didn't think they could do, they start turning around and doing that. So, you know, the power of questions is really important. One of the questions I just mentioned is, you know, what's the next thing you need to think about so I can help you in the enrollment process? Um, Another great question is, you know, six months from now, when you're fully enrolled and this semester is over, tell me what success looks like for you. What are you doing? What are you achieving? What are people around you saying now that you've completed your course or your semester? For your degree. Now, I realize it's not our job as you know enrollment professionals or admissions counselors to dig into people's personal lives, and you're not. But when things are complicated or confusing, like enrolling or getting back into college if I've been out a while, 
I need to see and be reminded what the end game is as a student. What am I really after? What's going to motivate me to move through this paperwork, these online forms, and this process that you're going to take me through? So just taking two minutes to say, so tell me, tell me why you're coming back or why you're enrolling in this course or what this degree is going to do for you. And letting the person tell you their 30-second elevator talk, what it means to them, is not just passing time. And it's not just a fake way to connect with someone. But we really need to listen as advising professionals when somebody says what that means to them. And then help them reconnect with that every time they miss a deadline. Or they seem to go MIA. Or we're going to take them through the next step of the process, which might be really complicated. but Remember, here's what you really wanted, and my job is to help you get there. All of that dampens the emotional threat response in the student's brain and opens up her prefrontal cortex, that part of the brain where we have insights and aha moments and where we're drawn towards something we really want, even though it's complicated. So we might think about um, our profession as a missions counselors and as advising professionals as use the pixie dust of coaching to really improve enrollment and conversion. Now, Jeff, uh, just before we, uh, we run out of time, I wanted to ask uh, just, okay, we're, we're talking about the non-traditional, the adult student. There's a lot of studies out there that also show the enrollment of an adult student, a non-traditional uh, there's many aspects that are similar to working with graduate students as well. I know you work with the Master's of Science of Business Communication mm -hmm. at Spalding. Um, and, uh, you know, have you been in education yourself? What, with the graduate student, what, uh, there's a lot of, again, barriers out there that you'll see plenty of white paper on, but there's a lot of unseen barriers as well. Is there anything that comes to your mind that, those that work with graduate uh, students should be keeping in mind when work, you know, looking at that professional degree or, uh, you know, advanced business degree of uh, completion. Yes. Uh, the first one is time. Uh, people who come back for their graduate degree typically are already working. They may have families, uh, but the point is their life is well past the traditional student who's just left high school and is enrolling in undergraduate. So their biggest challenge is, how am I going to work this in with all the other things that are going on in my life? And that's where I think as advisors and enrollment professionals, you can ask some scaling questions to help people prioritize what that looks like. Oh, I can see you have a lot going on. Yes, I know it may be difficult. On a scale of 1 to 10, where 10 is, this is my number one priority, and work and family have said they'll take a break while I get this done. <laughs> and a one is nobody cares that I'm taking this, this, pursuing this degree. They're not going to give me any slack. I'm going to have to work this in to everything I'm doing. Where is this in terms of priority on a scale of one to 10? And when they, they'll, they'll think for a second and they'll go, well, I guess it's a six. And then ask, what makes it a six for you instead of a one? Why is this a six or a two? Why is it anything above a one? And they may say things like, uh, well, I did get some tuition reimbursement from my employer. Yeah, my manager knows I'm taking these courses, so I'm not going to get any time off, but they know I'm pursuing this on the side. Uh, my family has agreed, you know, maybe one or two nights a week, they can kind of take care of dinner and kid transportation. 
and um, I can focus on study. So they're going to tell you what kind of priority this is and what they've already put in place to help make it happen. And then as enrollment professionals, our, our purpose then is to figure out how do we get them from a six to a seven? What can we do on our end with scheduling, with services, with resources, so that it's easier for the graduate student to come back, even if time is a barrier and even if they're motivated, we know there are things that are going to away. So how do I make that a seven or an eight for them if they're already at a six? If they're at a two, what's the one thing I can do with them right now on the phone that moves us closer to a three and gets them more engaged in enrollment, in pursuing this, and solves their problem for time? Those are, those are some great uh, points you know, on, on both accounts with the non-traditional and the graduate student. And I think, it again, it brings home the fact of our job as enrollment leaders within the admissions office and the coaching of our, our staff, and then also being able to articulate in a way that it's understood and then carried on with their interaction, uh, their engagement with their prospective students, both the non-traditional and, and the graduate. So, Jeff, I I thank you for being on the show today. Before uh, we move on uh, in the show, is there a, a way that uh, others can contact you or uh, get in touch with you? And then also any parting words or anything that you would like to to add before we end? Sure. Uh, so, yeah, I can be contacted at Jeff, J-E-F-F, at Nally Group, N-A-L-L-Y-G-R-O-U-P.com. Or you can visit my website at nallygroup.com and connect with me there. Uh, you can also find me on LinkedIn, uh, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook as well. Uh, just search under Nally Group or Jeff Nally and they'll pop up. I think, you know, parting words are, as advising professionals and enrollment professionals, you know what you're doing on the inside. Let's start thinking more about how can we engage with the person's brain, the student's brain that's in front of us, and do things that really draw them into our process and our world and our complexity? And how can we make it easier on them and to focus their thinking in ways that move them forward? Thanks a lot, Jeff. Those are that's some great insight. And again, thank you for being on the show. Everyone else, thank you for tuning in to Reboot Higher Ed and have a great rest of your day. Thanks, Paul. Thanks, everybody. Thank you. I hope today's content was valuable to you. If so, I'd like to ask you to leave me a review because with your review, I will be able to rank higher in iTunes and reach more people. The more people my podcast can reach, the more energy I will be able to devote to creating great content for you and for future subscribers of Reboot Higher Ed. Thanks for tuning in today and have a great rest of your week.